We need to have that inner confidence that this war is just, this war is moral, and we have to do it. That doesn't mean that we're happy to do it. No one's happy to fight a war, no one's looking for a war. You are listening to The JP Show, where we discuss the issues you care about from a Jewish perspective. I am Rabbi G. I am Rabbi Levy. And we hope you enjoy this episode. This is Rabbi G, and welcome back to another JP show. Today, it's a very special show. We have a very, very special guest, which my son, Rabbi Levy, is going to interview in a few moments. His name is Michael, and he has a son, Dovi, who's in Israel, in the army, in the IDF, fighting in a special unit on the front lines in Gaza. And we thought it would be really, number one, interesting and fascinating, but number two, important to hear from someone who really has first-hand knowledge of what's going on and to make it real for us. But just as an introduction, I wanted to just mention something that I mentioned last week, but just elaborate on it a bit, and then we'll go into the interview. Um, there are people that have shared with me lately, you know, the different emotions that are happening post the pogrom and the massacre of October 7th. Um, people feeling scared, people feeling anxious, people feeling unsettled, broken, all different types of emotions. And then there were those emotions that people shared with me that they're feeling hate, hate and anger. And they don't know what to do with it because hate and anger really normally is not a good emotion. It's destructive, it's unhealthy. And yet, you know, we need to hate evil and we need to know what evil is. And so they were kind of talking to me about what do they do um, with this hate. And I want to just summarize something we spoke about last week before we get into the interview. And that is that in moral clarity, in Judaism, our, clarity, our, our, our moral code, our moral values are taken from an absolute source. They're not relative morality. We don't make them up. It comes from God through the Torah. And he handed down to us the various moral ideas and moral values which we live by. And what's so important, and I, I think we alluded to this last week, but I want to say it again. It's so important to understand that when those morals come from God, it's not about what we feel, it's not about our personality, it's not about our perspectives, it's about the absolute values. And therefore, often, two things can contradict each other, and we need to learn to live with the two things together, and to navigate the contradictory feelings, the contradictory perspectives, and the contradictory emotions. And in this case, we need to understand the following, that on the one hand, one of our very strong moral values is the love of life. In Judaism, everything is about life. We, we, we're just obsessed with the concept of life, breaking Shabbos to save a life, doing anything we can to save one life, the Talmud telling us that one life is worth an entire universe, and so on and so forth. We also love peace. The Torah was given to make peace in the world, the Talmud says. And love of life and love of peace is an absolute, is an absolute moral and an absolute important way that we, that we live. At the same time, however, we find that war is also moral. There are times that the Torah tells us that war and even killing people is a moral thing. Says the Talmud, if someone comes to kill you, you have a moral obligation to, to protect yourself, particularly to protect your family. And in this case, we're talking about protecting a nation. Not only Jews in Israel, but Jews around the world. We are all being protected. We all are connected to Israel and it affects us all. So therefore, the, the army, the IDF, and the Jewish people have an absolute moral obligation to, to defend themselves, the people, the land, and the Jewish nation. And therefore, war becomes moral. 
that doesn't mean that we get excited by it. You know, you'll notice an interesting thing. When they go into Gaza, and we have one of, we need to be confident about this. We have one of the most moral armies in the world who try their best to avoid civilian, civilian casualties and not to kill and so on and so forth. But they need to do what they need to do, and it's absolutely moral. And when they do, and they eliminate even terrorists, you'll notice that in the Jewish people, no one dances. We're happy that the victory is coming. We will celebrate the victory when it happens in its total form. But we don't dance. On the other hand, when they, when they, when they rescue one hostage, the entire Israel, if you watch the videos, was, was dancing because we, we love life. So here we have two moral things going, to, going together. We do what's moral and we are confident in this. I think that's the point I wanted to make. We need to be absolutely confident within ourselves because everyone is against us and everyone's telling us how bad this is and so on and so forth. We need to have that inner confidence that this war is just, this war is moral, and we have to do it. That doesn't mean that we're happy to do it. No one's happy to fight a war, no one's looking for a war, and we love life. So therefore we don't... We don't celebrate it, we don't celebrate the killing, but we do it with confidence and with holiness because it's just and moral and even holy because it's God's will. Going back to hate, therefore, walking around with hate and anger is not a good thing. I think the way to do that is we need to be confident in what we're doing and we should call out evil and we are taught even to hate evil. But to walk around with obsessive hate and anger is never a good thing. What we can do is we can channel it. We can channel it towards greater positivity. When we're feeling angry, or we're feeling really hateful, our response could be is, my foundation is light, positivity and life. I'm going to fight back. I'm so angry, I'm going to fight back by doing another mitzvah. I'm going to fight back by helping another person. I'm going to fight back, fight back by saying another chapter of Psalms, of Tehillim, of prayer. I'm going to fight back by being a good person. I'm going to fight back by advocating for Israel. I'm going to fight back only with positive things. So those are the points I wanted to make. Number one, we need to know that certain things as an emotion are unhealthy, but certain actions need to be done and it's moral and just. That's true with war. When we feel ourselves hating, our focus is life. Our focus is love and positivity. We need to try and channel that towards fighting back, but fighting back, obviously for the soldiers, it's fighting back on the ground. But for us here, it's fighting back with greater positivity, greater inspiration, and greater good behavior. That's my opening statement, and now we are really privileged to have Michael, who's going to be interviewed by Rabbi Levy, and I'm sure you'll find it very meaningful and enjoyable. All right, everyone. Um, we're extremely privileged to be sitting here with Michael. Um, actually, for security reasons, we're not going to mention any last names, but uh, with my good friend Michael, whose son, Davi, is right now uh, in the Israeli army, in the IDF, um, fighting the war for the Jewish people, for Eretz Yisrael, for the land of Israel. And uh, I thought we would start off, Michael, if you could just tell me um, a little bit about your son, Dobby. And just why would, you know, I understand people who live in Israel, they have to go to the army. It's actually an obligation for them. Why would a nice Jewish boy living a comfortable life in Sydney decide to pick himself up and join the IDF? Rabbi Levy, thanks very much for inviting me, and Rabbi Garori giving me the platform to share a little bit about my son. And yeah, that that question um, is asked a lot, especially to him by his commanders, saying, "What are you doing here?" And I should add, add also by some of his Adachayelim in his unit, saying, "You know, you could be on Bondi Beach, living a good life, and you choose to be here." So. Yeah, I think I'd like to give across a little bit about his 
personalities, upbringing, and you know, share with listeners some of the makeup of this personality. And um, yeah, so Dovi's 21 years old. He grew up in a in a Dutti home, and you know, he's been Shomre Shabbos all his life, as you probably, as the saying goes, FFB from from birth. <laughs> um, and Yes, we are a Zionist home. We we believe in the state of Israel, passionate about it. Um, but he he found that passion on his own. Um, he went on a school trip, and he really connected with the land. Really connected. Um, he he called us. He's not. He's always kind of understated and never really gets too enthusiastic about everything. It's like, you know calm and cool and and he was saying wow 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 like everything was great about about Israel and then he went on a, a gap year on a Vinay Kiva program which really ignited his passion and he told us that when he was in they, as part of the year they went they went on a trip to Poland to see you know um what what took place at the, with the Holocaust and and he said that that did it for him like he just said he he has to do something that protects Am Israel he can't allow this to happen again so wow. you know called us and said you know this was something we had never discussed as a family that joining the IDF he he is not Mr Rambo he's not he's not a violent person. He's not an aggressive person. He's just somebody who's absolutely passionate, number one, about the land and about Am Yisrael and being there for his brothers and sisters. So that was that was the start to our journey. Now, um, without preempting some of your questions, I just wanted to say that we were rookies. We've got friends, fam- uh, not so much family. We've got friends that have been, their kids have been through the army. And really until... One of your own goes through it. You don't really know what's mm. going on. Yeah, you hear you you hear the odd unit, but the actual journey is is enormous, and the self sacrifice that's required, and taking nothing away from the regular gedud, um, like the regular army units, the the commitment required in a sayeret unit um, in one of the elite units is enormous. The training is double the, the length of training and, and and the suffering that comes along with it is 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 very is very onerous and tough. And it's interesting that the people who typically make it um, let's say into this these special units are not the gym rats who come with these big muscles and um, who, who spend their life in the gym. It's typically what, what seem to be ordinary human beings, but they have this incredible commitment and passion and tenacity and ability to endure hardship. Um, I think that's the name of the game in the training, is the ability to endure hardship. And uh, I'll just share one story that comes to mind. He's had, yes. he's had many infections in, in, in his elbows because they required to crawl um, on thorns and glass and um, you know sharp objects for kilometers and hours at a time so 
it's it's common for obviously many people quit, but it's very well. Yeah, many people quit. In his case, we just know he's he's hidden it because he doesn't want to. You know, you know, no one wants to get dropped from the unit, so they they endure a lot. And he's been through many infections where his elbows, his back, everything is being infected. But you know, they persevere. It's unbelievable, and I think it's very important to point out, you know, to, to, to sort of emphasize what you're saying here, that we're not talking about somebody who's uh, interested in, in shooting a gun and interested yeah. in killing people. It's purely for the sake of Am Yisrael and Eretz Yisrael, which is, which is unbelievable. Um, you were in Israel on Simchat Torah. Yeah. You were there uh, yeah. when this was all happening. Maybe you can describe to us, first of all, where you were, or at least around where you were, yeah. the exact yeah. location, sure. um, and what happened and what unfolded in your personal experience. Yeah, so... We, we had arrived for Sukkot, hoping to see, my wife and I, hoping to see Dovi um, for the first part. We, we thought he might get off the army for a good chunk of the, the Chag. Unfortunately, he wasn't let off, but he was let off for Simchat Torah. And we, we went with him and to, to friends um, in the Gush, the Gush area for Shabbat Simchat Torah. And we had a lovely... Friday night, it was, you know, the yeshuv we were on, everyone everyone was religious, and everyone was dancing and singing, and naturally it was peaceful, it wasn't, uh, you might take uh, offense to this, there wasn't one drop of alcohol. <laughs> no, no, no offense, that's great. <laughs> but everyone was on a, on a great big high, and, and we had a lovely evening, and we got to reconnect. For, for those few hours, and anyway, I went to bed, and was woken. We were woken up. I can't remember the exact time. Quarter, quarter to seven in the morning, by the the bala, the bala boss of the house, and he said, "You got two minutes. Get to the the mamad, which is the bomb shelter." And we didn't know what was going on. We we were really very confused, but we just followed everyone. And we all went into the bomb shelter. Um, at this stage, he was telling us that this is unprecedented. He, he's a guy who knows his stuff. And he's, he, he said, the, the barrage of, of rockets coming overhead is unprecedented. And we all turned on the radio. Dovi turned on his phone. And there were messages from his commander saying, get, get here, get to base immediately. So... Here we were, tourists in a rented car, Shabbos, Simchat Torah. We jumped into the car and we raced. And we headed um, down to his base, which was quite a drive. It probably took us an hour. And my wife was saying to Helim, we were saying, what, she had a sitter with her. She was saying anything that she could that, um, that drew, you know, drew comfort and inspiration to Hashem. And we and Dovi and I were both saying our main, our main to everything, um, and we could just see there was pandemonium on the roads. This is literally, this is as it's unfolding, and and it's you hearing things on the radio, um, the, like the police stations, the road is taken over. Like it, it didn't make any sense. You didn't think it's even possible that that. I thought it was a, a little bit of exaggeration initially, and then you just realized this was something big, momentous. Um, and we, we got him, the phone kept ringing, 
saying, where are you? Where are you? And he kept saying, oh, he, the, the GPS is saying, we'll be there in 10 minutes. And then two minutes later, I found again, like, where are you? Anyway, we, we got there um, and we said an emotional goodbye. And and he went in, into, into the base. Um, and we, that, was, that was Shabbos morning, um, call it 11 o'clock, just for round numbers. Um, we did not hear from him until Wednesday that day, uh, until Wednesday, four or five days later. So let me just tell you what happened for him. Mm. Um, he, he, you know, they got dressed quickly into army gear and off they went. They arrived at Kfar Aza, which we know now is one of those um, kibbutzes that was very badly affected. And he arrived there at 4, 4 p.m. Shabbos, October 7th. And he said there were about, I think, 20 Maglan, which is a special forces units um, on, on the, the kibbutz, and 160 terrorists. And all hell was breaking loose. It was, you know, it was live gunfire, um, pretty much as you would, you know, as you see in the movies. And initially, there was a, you know, I, this is the way he explained it to me. But I, you know, I might have got some of my times incorrect here. But there was, from what I could understand, there was an RPG rocket had blown up, like the perimeter, one of the perimeter fences. So he was. Him and a few of his his unit were asked to go and guard it and, and and secure it that no more terrorists could get in. Anyway, they went. He said they were sitting ducks. It was complete. They were completely exposed to terrorists, to elements, to rocket fire, all this kind of stuff. And they were waiting. They were told you just have to secure it for an hour and the tanks would be there and everyone would cut, you know, there'll be reinforcement units are arriving, etc., etc. Let's say that was at six o'clock um, that they were told they would be extricated out of this precarious position. And six o'clock became 6.30, became seven o'clock, became 7.30. And they kept calling into their commanders saying, where's the backup? Where's the backup? By eight o'clock, that evening they were told, sorry guys, you, you're going to be spending the night there. So, you know, he said that was, that was part of his welcome to this horrible experience. Like, he knew they weren't, they weren't going to be sleeping. Um, that didn't bother him. But, you know, they, they had set up a way that they could kind of cover each other and, and protect themselves. Anyway, that was, that was Saturday night. A 50-hour gun battle pursued, and um, you know they eventually started going house to house and um, making sure that people were safe. Well, firstly, making sure that there were no terrorists in in these houses. Um, on on Monday morning, sadly, one of his guys in his unit was killed. They, they, they didn't know there was a terrorist in, lurking in one of the houses that had been hiding and came out and ambushed them and his commander, Dobby's commander, was shot in the, in the leg and um, Yotam was killed and, and 
the other one of the other guys in the unit he's he got a bullet shot through his through his hand so um that was monday morning by that stage they had more and more backup but we hadn't heard ilan and i still hadn't heard where we just knew that he was involved in some skirmish and we didn't know so it was incredibly um worrying time for us on tuesday we got a a text to say from the mufaqid that your boys are fine they fought like lions and that was it and ilana just had a an inclination that something it was wound we hearing from them everyone's kids were calling calling them and texting etc and we still hadn't heard and it took until wednesday before we heard and the reason was because of the death of one of his colleagues they had to notify the family and and they didn't want word to get out so there was an agonizing four days for us um anyway eventually we got to speak um and his spirits were very high i mean when i say his spirits were very high um he told us he's you know he's he looked down prime evil he looked in the face of prime evil and he could, there were a couple of things he said that the mayhem and massacre that was there the only comparison could be the holocaust um and the other thing is he said what is so difficult about this enemy is their lack of will to live he said they do not care to die he said they you know they are are are, are such zealots in the sense that they will will sacrifice themselves easily and that makes fighting them very difficult because they you know they will run out in the open shooting like mm. like a madman and that makes it more difficult but eventually the, you know they got out he he were he went to Kerem Shalom which is a base in 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 the south very near um the Egypt Gaza border and you know uh, i don't know if you want to ask any more questions but yeah, you can tell me what, what happened now but the, but but, yeah, but in terms of going into Gaza yeah, so so then what happened was um he he was then um he 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 was then started they started training everyone thought like they were going to go in straight away and i think that's what the world and the israelis everyone was so angry and in hindsight i'm no militarist and strategist or anything like that but i think it was the right decision we would have we would have lost so many more if we just rushed in with with hot heads instead of you know doing it methodically but 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 yes the israeli army and the whole system failed us at that particular moment in time and we'll you know we'll leave that for the postmortems yeah. after you know how did it all happen like that but anyway he started a, a a process of training and he was assigned a new unit with totally new guys that he you know he had never met before and all the rest of it but he was basically told you know you're going to be going into Gaza and and um they started preparing for it um and each each day or well, no one knew like so we were there uh, we were there for moral support and we slept food and we you know we we did 
we couldn't get to him, but we managed to get food to him mm. as a specific dietary requirement that makes things a little bit more complicated for him. And, you know, we were, you know, his mother, bless her, credit to her, she made every effort. No, don't get in the way of a Jewish mother and his <laughs> son, and, and a son <laughs> feeding her son. Like, she, she made gluten-free food arrive on that Gaza border, um, like... Yeah, that was a miracle in itself. But it actually got to him, and we got verification photos that that he he received all this food. But um, what what was interesting is he has a kid for over a year. We hardly spoke to him because of the intense training and all the rest of it. But now he had a phone, and we were in constant contact, and we really spoke a lot. And and he got in tremendous um, encouragement by the support, like we'd say, this one's asked after you and that one's asked after you and, and um, you know, in Sydney they're doing this and the uprise and the, this pro protest march and all that. And if anyone listening is, is thinking, you know, what could they be doing to help? If you, if you, my late father always used to say, if you think you need a shave, you need a shave. Um, <laughs> so if you, if you think that, should I reach out to so-and-so family or to this chayal or get a message to them and you know, oh, you know am I going to bother them? Don't think like that. Just do it. Um, the support is well felt. Uh, it, it, it's important that no one, that, that people who are putting themselves in harm's way don't feel like they've been taken for granted. Yeah, you know, you know they're doing their job or anything like that. It's incredibly uplifting to know that people are with you on this, people on this care. stuff. Yeah, that they care. So, um, just to, to conclude, like the build-up of this Gaza invasion, I'm, I can't remember the exact. Um, it's all a bit of a blur now. But it was about two or so weeks of, I guess, um, training and being told they're going to go in, they're going to go in, they're going to go in, and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, two days before the invasion proper into Gaza, um, he said to me, because I, I said, I want to see you. I, I want to see you. I'd stayed on um, in Israel, and I said, I, I want to come and see you. So he said, no, it's, it's difficult. You know, they don't want parents around and all that. Anyway, long story short, he could tell I wasn't going to take no for an answer, that I may just arrive. So he said, come at so-and-so time. 2.30. So um, it was a two and a half hour drive. Literally, I, he told me that at 11.30. I went into the supermarkets, bought as much um, rubbish as I could. Like when I say rubbish, and like chocolates and, and cake and all that kind of stuff. And um, rushed driving there. As I said to you, you the Shabbos, that the, the drive, the, the he dropped me a pin. That's how I knew where to go. I had no idea where I was going. And I could see the Rafa crossing 24 kilometers away. It says, like, so I, I knew I was, I had Gaza on my right and I'm heading towards the Gaza Egyptian border. Then I see um, Rafa crossing 14 kilometers away and I'm thinking, oy vey. Like, <laughs> um, I'm not trained to join this, um, the, this operation. Anyway, then I, the, the road veered left, and 
you know, the tanks and everything all around me. And we got to spend a, a lovely hour. It was hot as hell. Um, it was 38 degrees. These guys are in, were in such harsh conditions in the desert. In, everything's sandy. Um, not a word of complaint. At least no one, uh, all you just saw were happy faces, people feeling like they serving at the highest level, you know, that you could sense this holy mission. And I'm not talking just amongst um, from kids. I'm talking, uh, mm. you felt it with Am Israel, the soldiers, everyone I encountered was positive. And it was, it was a tremendous chizuk for, for me just to see that the, these, these boys and girls were not running away from their responsibility. They could, they could see a higher purpose in it. And throughout this whole journey, um, I can tell you from a personal perspective, it's felt like history. It's felt like this is destiny and this is part of, of, of like a momentous period in Jewish history. And to be a part of it is a big scoop. Um, yes, it, it, is, it is tough and... and you know, Dovi went in, we know that he went into Gaza last Sunday. So, you know, we're already on Monday. It's eight or nine days. We haven't heard from him. Um, you know, the, there's tremendous pressure uh, and stress as, as a parent, you know, glued to the news. And each day, it's not normal. You, you read about these fatalities, and the first thing I look at is for names. And you know, I do know that they would before they publish a name, they do contact you. But you still, you think, uh, you know, maybe that something leaked through the system. So it's a very stressful, mm. very stressful time. Wow, and you haven't been in contact with them since. No, right. Um, can you? You just did a little bit. Maybe you can just elaborate a little bit. I think the reason why I'm asking this question, and obviously only share as much as you feel comfortable doing. I think it's important that people understand what people like you are going through. Yeah. Um, can you maybe just share with us a little bit what the experience right now, the past week, has been like for you for you and your wife yeah. on, a, on an emotional level? So I'll start by describing like that, that four-day period when we didn't know, like the war had broken out, we didn't know where he was, had no contact. Um, it was... It, it it was like almost like time stood still. To be honest with you, people people. My mother said to me, "What do you do all day?" And I said, "The day flies by. Like you probably just spinning your wheels. You you're looking through the news. You're talking to other parents who are going through the same thing. You you kind of in a bit of a in a bit of a daze." Um, I, I stayed on. I only got back from Israel on, on late Tuesday night last week. So, and he, you know, he went in on Sunday. So we and we we had no contact him from last Friday from from Shabbos, but but we know that he went in to Gaza on Sunday. And um, yeah, um, both my wife and I, I believe we both feel. That this is this is a holy war. This is this is not something that is trivial. This is not something that uh, you know you sign up for because you are a mercenary. 
or you're looking for adrenaline or anything like that, that there's there's tremendous there's tr- tremendous responsibility and there's we this is for the whole this is not just for the people living in Israel. This is for the whole Jewish people, Absolutely. and and I think we we feel that. Um, not to say that we don't feel um, let down by certain people. I think that's normal. Um, you feel you feel it. Um, you feel like wow, oh, I would have, I would have expected more. I'm being open and right. honest. Yeah. yeah. You, you, so you you feel that you feel you feel proud that. You part of you know that uh, that we've got a a chalik, a proper like piece of this this piece of history, and so there's there's an Im- immense feeling of pride. And the, the, if there's you know I'm the least political person out there, and in fact Israeli politics really really disinterested me <laughs> incredibly. I had no interest, right. and I probably still don't have much interest in it, but. I don't think anyone should for one second doubt that we're doing the right thing. Um, and, you know, my message, I know you asked me about my emotions, but th- th- these are part of the emotions that I'm feeling, is that no one, no one should have any doubts about what's going on there. And, and you know, when you read statistics being thrown in the Western media and people who you think are your friends, and it may be even people within your own family, you know, the liberals amongst all of us who, you know, who are are looking for equivalence and moral equivalence and all this kind of stuff. Don't fall for that. Um, this is ho- this is a really this is a holy war. And you know, I, I bought this book. I was just looking. I must have bought it twenty odd years ago. It's called War and Peace by Rav Cook. Father, Harav Avram Yitzchak, a coin cook, and um, when Dovi joined the army, like I pulled it out of my bookshelf, and I, uh, I might have paged through it many years ago. I didn't remember much, but I, it, you know, it became something that I've hung on to, and and I bought it for him um, just when when he was going in, you know, just before he went into the army, and I can say it's the only book he's read in a year and a half in Israel. Uh, is is this book and we we often discuss and I was actually talking to him about it last week because I I was while I was in Israel I was reading his copy and um, he said that it's it's in the bookshop there it's in Hebrew um, there's an English edition um, which is it's a terrific read so anyone who's listening I I found tremendous solace in in reading this and understanding that you know the great our greats all our forefathers. You know, we're, we're warriors. We we think, um, and it's a mistake to think that holiness is just guys who're learning a shiva with, um, you know, and, and never look up on their gemorahs and, and so forth. But the the truly righteous religious greats of our people were people who did that. They were Torah, Torah greats, but they were also warriors because they fought for justice. And um, I think that's really important. And one last point. Um, yes. And this is a shout out to my wife. Uh, I just followed and was was her avid in this in this particular instance. That while we were sitting waiting to hear um, in those first four days what was what was the, the fate of Dovi, um, 
we went and he, he's hosted by an amazing family in Israel as a lone soldier. And we went to his room and, oi, what that room looked like. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that, that is a, a year and a half of neglect. And um, my wife, we took like five bags of washing. She, she color-coded and marked every shelf and drawer and labeled them. And we, you know, we, we, we turned it around and that's his surprise. We'll probably get into trouble and you'll probably say, I don't know where anything is. But, <laughs> but anyway, that was something we did to help pass the time. That's amazing. Um, before we end, so you just sort of said a message more for like the general world to know that this is a moral war and this is what we're doing is right. You have a message as a parent of someone who's, who's fighting this war for the, specifically for the Jewish world. What, what do you think we can be doing? I know you sort of touched mm -hmm. on it a little bit. What do you think we could be doing to help those of us who are not in Israel, who are not in the army, what do you think our role is? Okay. Um, you know what? I, I, I'll give you my version, but I, I think Dovi said it best. He, he, he sent us two texts that I think were very apt. One of them is he says, um, an Israeli soldier does not fight for the hatred in front of him, but for the love of what is behind him. So that, that I thought is very apt. We, they, we, we fight him to protect what we've got. Mm -hmm. and, uh, there's no... Yeah. And... The day we, we were leaving, he sent a text saying, have a safe flight and tell them back in Sydney we must focus on being a Kiddush Hashem and doing good deeds rather than hatred. So my message to to um, families, to you know people, just the Jewish people in general, is there a lot of there's a lot of stuff going on where people are trying to do initiatives for good, be it Tehillim, so prayer groups. I found myself on a, a bunch more than I would have normally been on. Um, I baked my first challah on, on Shabbos, and and, a, and you know, shout out to OBK, our big kitchen. It was incredible. Um, Rebbitz and Slavin, you know, she really gave over the you know, the spiritual dimension of of baking that challah, and I felt it, and my wife felt it. My challah was better than hers, though. And, <laughs> uh, but um, you know, take on doing good deeds and and um, doing that little bit extra. I think that we all we all soldiers in. I know it sounds cliche, but we all soldiers in God's army. And, Absolutely. And there was one thing that I actually saw at the back of this book um, that I thought was really interesting is that you know, for world peace, people don't realize it that. In order for there to be world peace, we need peace in Israel. And I think that's, that's the blueprint that Hashem created. When we, when we finally achieve that peace in Israel, the world will see peace. So uh, you know, I'd, love, I'd love nothing more to see more support for our cause. And, and, and yeah, and, I'll, and my last message... I'm giving lots of last messages here, but my last message is: is don't be afraid of 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 being Jewish and and be proud of it, and don't don't be scared because there's a lot of there's a lot going on even in in Sydney, Australia, and and people are maybe a little bit afraid to um, to show their Jewishness. Wear it with pride. Don't don't allow these 
these cowards or these um, these bigots, people who hate the Jews, to to win in the sense that they make us scared. We should be proud. We've got Hashem's protection with us. Don't have to be silly. Um, you know, I, I I think maybe we I've, we've reconsidered. We put a Israeli flag on our front door. Um, maybe it wasn't. Uh, well, well, I'll think about it some more. Like time we, will tell. Time will tell. <laughs> you know, am I drawing unnecessary attention? Maybe. Um, but the but, idea is true. You know, but, we're going to be proud. But yeah, and I, and, I, and I go to the gym with an IDF t-shirt on. Um, you know, you, you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be afraid. Um, Absolutely. Well, Mike, thank, thank you so much for your time, first of all. And obviously, on behalf of the entire Jewish nation, uh, we thank your son and all of his brave friends in the IDF that are really, as you said, doing really holy work. And uh, we all pray to God that he should protect them, they should all come back safe and healthy and will be reunited very soon and should be true peace in, the, in, in, in Eretz Yisrael, for the whole Am Yisrael. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the JP Show. For questions, comments, and feedback, please email rabbig at bina, B-I-N-A, dot com, dot A-U. See you next time.